In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And it all matters. Everything. Mom dying and the curry that's spilt on the floor, my burying my dog, meeting my best friend, breaking up with like my exes. Everything matters. And you just I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't change a thing. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. Eva Dunn is an entrepreneur who runs her own online business teaching English to adults based all around the globe. In this chat, we talk about her journey to self-employment and 100,000 Instagram followers, her experience dealing with grief, imposter syndrome, a trip to Brazil to take ayahuasca, and managing her mental health in general. I think there's a lot we can learn from how Eva has faced the difficult and challenging moments in life and how she has embraced the more beautiful ones. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really don't take your attention for granted. And considering all of the other places you could be spending your attention right now, the fact that you're here with us is something I'm incredibly grateful for. If you'd like to help out the show, you could share with a friend or leave a rating or review. Those small acts can make an incredibly big difference to me, and I'd really, really appreciate your support. But now, here's my conversation with Aoife. Yeah. I, well, yeah, then afterwards, then, you, then someone points it out and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, now you can't unsee it. Yeah. Next time, you're just going to see it all white table as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've completely fucked it up. Also, like, I'm already got a complex about my height with this chair. <laughs> Look, I feel like I, I'm at, like, the, the adult's table with my kids' chair. Look how small I look. There is another chair if you want one. It's fine. I'll uh, <laughs> It doesn't come across in the podcast anyway, so you don't need to worry about that. like the little rascals. You were away recently. Yes. In in Tenerife, right? I was, yeah. Yeah, how was that? It was amazing. It was beautiful. It was needed after a really crazy summer. I'm like really bad at going on holidays. Mm. I don't know if you're the same, but like when you're self-employed... Because you don't get paid. Yeah. <laughs> and you only remember that certain times of the year. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, no, I won't take a holiday. So mm. and then last year I didn't take one at all. And winter was so hard. Yeah. So this year I was like, no, I'm just going to like winter proof myself yeah. and like take a week in the sun yeah. against my better judgment. But it was, yeah, it was beautiful. But mm. still, I found it like 
a week is not long enough on holidays. Sounds so privileged, but like you need like a week to tell yourself you're on holiday. Yeah. And then the second week is when you're like, okay, now I can relax. It's crazy, but like it takes so long to relax. Well, disconnect. A big thing that you just said there is that you're self-employed. Yeah. Um, So my first question would be, how long have you been self-employed for? Um, three years now since since the pandemic. Okay, brilliant. Um, There's I've I've have been self-employed as well. and technically, at the moment, I'm actually not self-employed. Somebody does pay me to do something, which is nice. Um, and actually, it's so nice to to temporarily, because I know it is temporarily, step out of it a little bit. And I've explained this to some of my mates before who have jobs. And it just is that there's a, it's a psychological thing mm-hmm. of every day that you go to work. Actually, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Every day, you are responsible for what you do that day will inevitably impact your income at the end of the month yeah yeah so i always say to my mates like who might be like on whatsapp or something i see like the groups like flying up and down at messages i was like what are you doing all day at work like and they're like oh yeah, i just, just didn't get much done today mm. and i'm mm. like you fucker like that you still get paid the same amount at the end Ooh. of the month <laughs> even though you did absolutely nothing today so that that sort of stuff annoys me but then if you take that aspect into being self-employed and going on holidays it's really hard to switch out of that it's really yeah. hard to go no this time is for me and mm-hmm. um, yes I'm technically it's, it's sorry it's very hard to not have the mentality that I'm just losing money here yeah that's exactly it yeah. that, I, and I, it's such a horrible way to think because you start looking at everything you do as like output and mm. input and like you said like every day has to be capitalized yeah and i never used to think like that like you said like you go to work some days some days are good some days are bad you faff but like i still faff as like today was just mid- like predominantly faffing mm. and then you get so annoyed don't you and then you're frustrated because you're like oh i've achieved nothing today and i haven't yeah. done this 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 and so i feel like more now being self-employed i'm definitely more frustrated like in the evenings i'll be like what did I even do today? Yeah. But what I've started doing is writing down even the small things of what I've done, even if it's like washing clothes mm-hmm. or like coming here or mm-hmm. whatever, because sometimes I think when we're self-employed, we can lose sight yeah. of th- those things are still, you know, actionable points. You would still mm-hmm. achieve stuff with your day. Yeah. But I really, yeah, a lot of my friends work in, in tech and I am convinced they don't do anything. <laughs> They, they do they have them be messaging us like yeah like you said planning hen parties and baby yeah. showers and I'm like you, do you go and they're like no don't. Yeah. most of them admit they're like I don't do much mm. I was like god damn I have a couple of friends who are engineers that seems to be the best one because from what I can understand their job is only really 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 important like we're talking about like millions of euros worth of importance within 20 minutes a space of 20 minutes within the month yeah. so basically if something breaks They have to like really quickly fix it so that they don't lose like a stupid amount of money. But the rest of the time, they do absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it just went into a totally wrong career. But uh, but anyway, interestingly, I'd like to know if you could go back to three years ago Mm -hmm. and speak to Aoife of three years ago, just about to become self-employed. What advice would you give her that you've learned from the experience over the last three years? Good question. Um, if I went back to Eva three years ago, so it was like March 2020. So I don't know if you remember the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> rings a bell. Rings a bell. 
Um, so I lost my job in the language school that I was teaching at. And my boyfriend of four years also left me. And then we all had to leave our house as well because none of us could afford to pay the rent as like there was me and my brother. And anyways, we were like, okay, we'll all have also have to move in with strangers. Mm. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Mm. But we had the beautiful pandemic payment that was mm. like coming in. That was really sweet. I think everyone enjoyed the pandemic secretly for the first like six weeks to two months. Yeah. I think we were like, yes, deep rest. And everybody was making mm. sourdough. Um, banana I, bread. Banana bread. I tried sourdough like twice and it just made me feel like a terrible human. I was like, no, I can buy sourdough from Fumbly for four years <laughs> and still keep my integrity intact. Yeah. But I was like, after about two months, I thought, okay, what am I going to do like financially? And this, the students I realized were still out there. They were just mm. in their houses, just like me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have to find a way of like, maybe just getting one or two. At this point, I wasn't so worried about money because the pandemic payment was still there. I didn't know for how long. And then I had this old Instagram account that I had been using, like with, I think I had like 50 followers. And I was like, okay, I'll just like reinvigorate that and make some silly grammar videos. And mm. like you were saying earlier, like I found the first video I made and it is, it's like something from the Stone Age. Like <laughs> I was like, did I record this like on a Motorola flip flop flip phone? It was so badly mm. done, but it was like, I just did a silly video about like ordering coffee or something and how not to do it. Yeah. If you're, you sound rude, if you do this kind of thing. And then it got a few hits. And then I remember a few, I mean, maybe one or two videos. And all of a sudden it was the feeling of like random strangers are seeing this content. And then I remember one person, Tiago was my first student and he sent me a DM and he was like, hi, uh, I'd like to have classes. And I remember thinking, oh my, oh my God, this is my first student. Yeah. Like he lives in Brazil. So I set up a call wow. with him and I was like, Okay, I'll determine your level. And then we started having one-to-one classes, but mm-hmm. I realized that wasn't really financially viable for me. Mm-hmm. So I made, I started like, I had a few more and I was like, would you guys mind being in the same class? And they're like, no. And then all of a sudden, like, I just had a full schedule of students. Wow. Yeah. And then I was like, shit, I better tell the tax man. <laughs> I was like, I technically I'm self-employed now. Yeah. And it was, it honestly, it happened so fast. And I suppose like, Four years, three three years later, I have like yeah nine today. Depressingly, the number is ninety nine point nine followers. I sound like a You're special deal. There. You're <laughs> almost there. Such a special deal, ninety nine point nine. Yeah. Um. So it's mad to think like it just started from that one little idea. And if I think if someone had told me, if it, you if you do this, you're gonna have all this, you know, like all this success. But you're gonna have success. I actually don't think I would do it. Why? I think I'm really bad at like spooking myself out of things. Uh-huh. So if so, like if I see something and, and someone says, oh, this could be huge for you, this would be really good for you. I actually tend to find it too daunting and I, and I hold myself back. But if I just kind of make small steps in yeah. a direction that may or may not go somewhere, then there's less expectation on me. And then I think I relax into it more. But if, if I go back to Aoife in March 2020 and say, hey, in three years, you'll be running your own business and you're going to have all these followers and you're also got you're going to have a lot more opportunities. I think I would have sent her into a panic attack. Mm. So I think I might just keep nudging her and be like, 
You're doing fine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Keep going in the direction you're going in. Do you think that's something to do with, like, um, and I do this myself, so this, I'm, this is why I'm asking this, but if I have a goal, like a very clear goal, and this is only something that's actually come up with me today, that I have to learn to um, take, what is it, to take the the intention or the mm-hmm. goal, mm-hmm. At, but the attachment away from that. Mm-hmm. So basically the you are good or bad if this happens. Yes. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. Uh, so perhaps that's what happened with you in the sense that if someone said that this is your goal, this is your intention, and then you're constantly measuring yourself against yes. that goal. Yes, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. I have this like weird, it's probably a toxic characteristic where I'm like, if I think about something too much, it won't happen. Hmm. Which is the opposite of this whole Instagram thing of manifest your future. <laughs> I'm literally like, no, don't think about it because then like more the world is going to come like, oh, do you really want that thing? Okay, we're not going to give it to you then. Yeah, It's such a weird way to think. But like instead I, I try not think about like my future too much. And mm. I actually don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But it's for me, it's like. I guess the way my personality works is I do just get overwhelmed and I put so much pressure on myself and yeah. expectation that I've learned how about we just keep moving and I heard a great quote recently and it was anyone I always destroy quotes so it was something mm. along these lines and it was anyone who moves on a little bit walks like Jesus over water and it was the idea that like you are so powerful, you're godlike, when you mm. just keep moving. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, we think about the end goal so much, and it has to be this. And like you said, we get so attached to that. But that ends up either holding you back, and then you're too terrified then to take another step, or when it doesn't work out mm. the way you assumed it was, now you feel so disappointed and you forget about all those beautiful steps you took yeah. in between. Yeah, yeah. So I think what I tell myself is, just move on a little <laughs> I'm completely the same I think I actually have even going like any anything it's like yeah. there are certain things that, which I don't necessarily I'm not too focused on the end goal but like you get on the train I'm like when are we at the station <laughs> get yeah. in the car it's the same thing yeah. like that whole enjoying the journey thing I'm terrible at that yeah um, it'll be the same for going on a run it's the same I try and like do a little bit of meditation in the morning mm-hmm. so like I'm just like I'm thinking of when is this over yes um, with everything yeah. absolutely everything um, and it's not a very good way to be um, and I, what I find is you get really bad at observing things mm. because you're so much thinking of what has to come or what you need to do or whatever here's a, a question I asked myself that you know when you're a kid I don't know, you just, you're so aware of everything that's physically around you. Mm-hmm. If I asked you, I don't know if you live in an apartment or if you live in a housing estate or whatever, but if I asked myself the question, what color is everybody's front door mm-hmm. on my street? There's, there's only like six houses. I wouldn't be able to tell you. But if you asked me as a kid, I would have like, oh yeah, well that one is blue and that one. You, don't, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm just, mm-hmm. I've just totally don't take stuff in around me. I think... I'm so much in my head that yeah. perhaps 20% or 80% is just missing from what's actually happening in the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think, like, you were asking me, what would I go back then and say to Aoife? And I would say to her, 
I don't think I'd tell her anything about where we ended up, but I would tell her just trust, because mm. I'm, I'm coming from the future, and I'm floating yeah. in this idea, right? So I've got a cloak, I'm oh, like, don't you worry, little Aoife. But I would say to her, just trust and enjoy where you're at, because I think that's the problem as well, even, you know, circling back to being self-employed, like, I think because we're always thinking about the next thing because you have to and you have to plan and we're okay what's next you you barely finish one goal and get through it and you're already on to the next one and i think that's what kind of pains me a lot is that i was saying to a friend recently when the good times roll in whether it's just i don't know with your mental health you're in a really good space or with your relationship or with work when the good times are in you gotta stop and go this is the good time mm -hmm. because at some point it's going to go. It is. Yeah. And you're going to be stressed again and something will knock you off course with your mental health or you'll have a conflict with your partner or you'll be in some form of instability or insecurity with your job or life just comes and something unexpected will just hit you in the face. And you'll think back to that good time, won't you? And you'll go, yeah. oh, I didn't know how good I had it and I wish I celebrated that. So what I'm trying to teach myself now is when the good times are here, like seize it, hold it, and know it. Because that's the sad part: is none of us actually. You don't. You don't really. We keep waiting for this good time to come, but we only recognize it when we look back and we're like, oh, "That was that was a really yeah. good time. That was a really good time." Hundred percent. So it's like I had a really good few weeks there after Tenerife, mm. and in Tenerife, like I was listening to this song and I was looking at the mountains, and all of a sudden I started to to cry and. And I checked my phone. I was like, I'm going to do my period because like, what's going on? <laughs> and I was super emotional. And then I realized like I was holding it back, but it was like bubbling up inside me. Mm. And I was like, why am I holding back? Like, um, and I just let it come out. And I realized like, oh my God, this is joy. This is, this is joy. I feel oh, really yeah. good. And it wasn't sad. It wasn't painful. I was like, oh, I feel really good with everything. And I tried to really squeeze that out the last few weeks. Mm. And just like, even when I was in Berlin with friends, we were all sat around chatting and they looked at me and they were like, are you okay? And I had tears. I was like, I'm really happy. Mm. <laughs> and they were like, oh. And I was like, yeah, I just, I'm trying to, I connect with it so much that I can feel it in my bones and it bubbles out. And I'm like, this is a good time. And now, like, interestingly, like I'm back in like a kind of a difficult phase of my life. Mm. And all I can think is, I'm so glad I held on to those few weeks mm. and just devoured them. Because mm. have you always been very like in in touch with your emotions in that way? Yeah, like I'm emotional. Mm. Um, so I don't know if that means I'm in touch with my emotions. Because I always think if someone's in touch, they're I, like sorry, I, that. That doesn't actually. That's not how I wanted to phrase that. Yeah. But very aware. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would say I'm self-aware to yeah. the point of like neurotically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. Like you said, living in your own head. Mm. You say something like, is that the right thing to say? And you have mm. like a little echo constantly. I think I'm, uh, I don't know if I, maybe I've grown up a little bit, but I remember when there was a time when I, I was studying, right? I think I was about 24, 25 at the time. Um, and for various, for various different reasons, I, I, when I went into the library, it wasn't to do with studying actually, but for whatever reason, it was just the, the quiet space, I think. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was having panic attacks. Mm. Uh, 
But I, like you were, I didn't what have, was the sensation? Uh, in my heart was going like absolute 90. And for, for, for whatever reason, then I started thinking everyone's like looking okay. at me in here, mm-hmm. uh, which they told, they definitely weren't. Um, it, I don't know if you, it was when, one of those rooms in Trinity that, anyway, uh, so I'd come out, I'd be like, all right, just take a breather. But I, at no point did I ever go, I'm having a panic attack. My, my vo- inner voice was like, you're an idiot. Like, what's mm-hmm. wrong? There's no, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with you. Go back in there and study. Mm-hmm. You know, get over yourself. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't self-aware enough to go, okay, maybe that was like a panic attack. Yeah. And maybe I need to go to like get help for that. I, I've definitely grown up a little bit now. When did you realize it was? Like 10 years later. Oh, no. <laughs> you think back to the time and you're like, damn. Because I refused to admit I was going through a difficult time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and maybe a bit, like, I think I just closed the door on it yeah. and I just went into blinkers on and let's just uh, grit our way through this. Yeah. Um, not, not, not the best idea in the world. But everybody does it. And how, how old were you, do you mind me asking? Um, I... Maybe I was 20, 23 or 24, actually. Yeah. I mean, 23 or 24. Yeah. Um, and it just manifested that way for, yeah. for whatever reason. So, you know, my parents passed away when I was younger. So my, my father when I was 18 and mother when I was 23. So this would have been like... It, my mom not, died when I was 23 too. No way, really. Wow. Um, and... and for personally it would have been a thing of like you know going through that of, mm-hmm. of I think I told you before selling the family home and stuff like that so I was managing that mm-hmm. with trying to get through college and stuff like that and find a new place to live I, now I look back at it and go holy shit that was a really difficult time yeah. um, but in the moment I refused to I just and maybe that was a good enough technique actually to mm-hmm. get through it mm-hmm. Well, the panic attacks were not particularly enjoyable. No, and isn't it so <laughs> sad when you like think back on your past self and you think how much you denied yourself or you were so disconnected from your physical self. And I often think our bodies are these beautiful things that just send us messages. My body was sending me messages for years, like through my 20s after my mom died. And I just, like you, I just kept ignoring them mm. until like it got to a point where it was sending me serious signals. Like I lost um, control of my left arm one time when I was teaching and the pen kept dropping. And I was like, and I'm also obviously a hypochondriac. I was like, okay, so I've got, you know, you Google that and you're like, okay, I've got a brain tumor and multiple sclerosis (laughs) and motor neuron disease. And and 10 seconds left to live. Literally, I was like, organizing the coffin when the doctor was like, I remember I was I was seriously sitting in the doctor's office thinking he's gonna like read me my rights like this is it and he started asking me all these weird questions like have you thought about death a lot and I was like why is he not talking about my arm not working this is so weird and I was like yeah well yeah like my mom died you know a few years ago and he was like okay and do you think about your own death and I was like not really and then I realized oh my god he's going through the depression checklist Mm. And what he did then was he just turned around and he was like, you were depressed. Mm. And he wrote me a script, uh, like a prescription for some antidepressants. Mm. It's not his fault. We won't get into the Irish medical health system. But it was like, here's your prescription. And I left there. And while I didn't ever use that prescription, it was the first time maybe like you where I was like, 
wait, is something wrong with me? Mm. Like, maybe I'm not okay. Yeah. And I don't know if I necessarily needed him to tell me I was depressed because I don't know if grieving and depression are the same thing. I actually think, you know, I think there's so many different forms of depression. There's clinical depression, which is something separate. But I think I was, yeah, I was, maybe I was in a depressive period, but I really was grateful that I was like, oh, oh my God, I'm not okay. And my arm not working was literally just my brain misfiring. And how my therapist explained it to me, she was like, the body, your, my shoulders were like this, my neck was compressed. I had this hump from just living my 20s, just like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And my poor body was living with so much internal stress that it mm. had to like crawl up and be like, hey, mm. we're not okay. Mm. And it took like, yeah, I had to go to physio, obviously, and te- that's when I started therapy. And mm. it was, yeah, I thought back to my 20s and I'm like, oh my God, there was so many moments when I just was like, no, I don't need to think about that now. And was it the therapy that kind of, well, be it both physical and uh, psychological therapy? Did, was it yeah. the, um, the psychological therapy that really helped? Or Yeah, so I started with CBT first because mm. I had to get out of that spiral because I really believed I was dying. Yeah. And even when I went to CBT, so that's cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. with a clinical psychologist, I was like, I just still didn't believe it. That's how far I had gone where I was like, no, everyone's an idiot. And I actually, I have an incurable neurological disease. And I was sitting there thinking like, why am I even in this clinic? Like, I don't need therapy. Mm. And it took a few weeks for her to kind of really get through to me. And what we worked on was just getting out of that, that negative spiral. But again, I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I was probably like 29 yeah, 29, 30, and I still wasn't ready. And I left therapy after like a few weeks. So I did maybe five to eight sessions. And I was like, I'm cured, done. Yeah. I just couldn't, like you were saying about trying to get to the end of something. I was like, okay, I'll do therapy and then I'll be cured, right? Mm. And I just wanted to quickly hurry through each session and then just be like, and now I'm better, right, everybody? Okay, cool. Yeah. And we can just put this crazy period behind us. But it kept coming up and uh, I always say the the best things to happen to me were the worst things that happened to me. Yeah, you learn a lot about yourself. Yeah, a hell of a lot. Um, and I think obviously if you come through that, then you're like, well, what can't I, what can't I face now? It's kind of hard to think that way, but sometimes it's nice to think it that way. And yeah. you know, you can like, I can face any challenge, and like nothing should phase me, or you know that kind of. Obviously, mm-hmm. things do, but mm-hmm. I think from that point of view, um, it can be beneficial. What is your your dream lifestyle or what does your ideal lifestyle look like? Do you know what? I'm so bad at answering just like questions in general. <laughs> I'm a question asker. Okay. <laughs> so like answering questions, I'm like, oh. Because um, it makes me think about myself in ways that probably I, ha- I don't usually. Um, my dream lifestyle. Like I would say I would do very well not having a job. <laughs> You know, some people are like, I need the structure and I need the routine. And I'm like, no, like I would find other like ways to stay focused. And I would love just like um, to be one of those women, you know, who can just like go off to um, a writer's retreat 
And yeah. I said to my friends recently, I was like, guys, if I tell you I'm on a writer's retreat, you know I've made it. Because mm. that is like the height of privilege. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can just take a few weeks off, go to somewhere in Tuscany. Yeah. Like you get like, I don't know, pasta and yoga and you just sit around and write. What are you writing? Doesn't matter. Drink white wine. Drink white wine. Pretend yeah. you're sophisticated. I, I want to know how many things were written after a writer's retreat. <laughs> not yeah. very much. Yeah, probably not. It's amazing. Yeah. And I was like, guys, then you know, you've reached a very privileged position. So I suppose like my ultimate dream would be to go on a writer's retreat. Right. <laughs> and maybe like I assume you write. Yeah. Like this is part of my like imposter syndrome. Like I, I find it really hard to, to say to people that like I write or that like. Oh yeah. It's I'm, impossible. You can't say that. Sort of you thing. can't. You no, feel it's so. It's not allowed. Especially as an Irish writers. person. No, probably. absolutely not. Sorry. Like someone wrote, so someone said, oh, this Stephen, she's a poet. I was like, what? No, no, I'm not a poet. You're a poet. Yeah. And I was like, I, I can't, like, I could totally sit here and be like, I'm a teacher. Hmm. But like to say, so when you're like, do you write? I'm like, well, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. It's weird, isn't it? Why? It's Why so like strange. <laughs> Is it an Irish thing? I wouldn't, you know, when you ask kids, they're like, so like, they're like, I like blue yeah. you know <laughs> like, guy, like I like blue too so we're friends yeah you know and it just becomes so serious you're like you can't say that sort of stuff especially in Ireland and we've spoken about this on the podcast before and I remember speaking to Queen of Arab about it I don't know if you know she is she's a she's a great musician and about this whole idea of like she lives from from being a musician mm-hmm. but she wouldn't say that mm-hmm. you know it's it's weird it's, it's weird. a weird thing I, and, and like if you meet people from other countries like in, maybe in the United States not to overgeneralize but they would tend to be better at like they almost tell you their profession before they tell you their name and yes. they, there's such confidence in that like I'm yeah. a um, whereas I definitely would struggle with kind of yeah even just generally what, what I'm doing with my life or maybe what kind of version of life I want and you, you know when you meet I always say to my students like it's ridiculous that we lose confidence as we as we get older and I think it was Picasso has that great quote that like the children we're all born artists uh, the difficulty is remaining so as, as you get older mm. because you start to question everything and you, and you yeah. overthink and like I was at my friend's house a few weeks ago and her child came over to me so proud and confidently with a picture of a horse it was the worst picture I've ever seen yeah. it's not a horse it was weird it was stupid yeah. but she was like here this is for you this is a horse in my head I'm like it's the worst horse ever but I'm like what a beautiful horse and she's like put it on your fridge and then she she second guessed herself she's like actually put it on your wall in your bedroom <laughs> and I was like what I just love that confidence and mm. I was like what a beautiful way to be why yeah. what happened to all of us like why are we te- that's and the thing is as adults if she if we continue to draw pictures of horses, we will definitely draw a better picture than that four-year-old. Yeah. But we would be terrified to show it to somebody and we definitely won't tell them to put it on their bedroom wall. Yeah. I'm like, how should we get so self-conscious? Self-conscious and also the fact, like, it, it really doesn't serve us well in terms of, like, you're teaching adults, right? Yeah. Um, and they might have that, they've learned that critical mindset and they're afraid to speak and et cetera. Um, and very, I've you know had that experience of learning another language as well. And you become very self-critical of yourself. But mm-hmm. you know that child mentality is so that kid will go back to school the next day and then may you know draw another horse and it'll be a little bit better and as you say improve. Yeah. Just because they're like, oh, I did a great horse. Yeah. And I did another one. Yeah. Um, but we don't, like it's it's learning to get that balance as an adult, right? Of like 
okay, maybe that wasn't the best, but you know what? Well done. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going tomorrow and maybe you can do it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, how can you balance those two? But like what happens is we get that very strong critical mindset where it's hard then to, to push forward and, and learn new things. And Yeah, and the imposter syndrome. Yeah. My students and I were just talking about the, this morning because one of them is, is moving to Birmingham and she's from Uruguay, she got a scholarship and she's like, I can't, I don't know what to do about this imposter syndrome. I just feel like I don't deserve it. And she was asking for tips. And I was like, I, I have imposter syndrome all the time. Like, that's probably why we can't say, like, I write or I, I don't know. We can't say, like, you know, I'm a poet. Even, even me saying that now is so difficult. Mm. But I did a storytelling workshop in Dunleary a few months back. And with this, like, amazing storyteller. And he... I, he said something about, oh, you're a storyteller. And you're, no, he said, you're a writer. And so that will be easy for you to, to, to tell stories. I was like, no, I'm not a writer. Because he made us like write up something. And I immediately cut him off and was like, I'm not a writer. And he's Israeli and obviously just doesn't take, you know, this sort of self-pitying, yeah. <laughs> demoralizing. He's like, excuse me, you are a writer? You wrote that? It was, you're a writer. Okay. And it was like, that's enough said. And I remember him saying, and I felt this like punch in my in my chest of like, someone else thinks this of me after reading what I wrote. And I'm like, why can't I connect to that part of myself? Why every time I say oh, I'm a writer, I'm a poet, I, I don't know, I sh- the part of me just shrivels up. Maybe it's because I don't make money from it. And maybe, you know, in this world we think, oh, if you say you're a writer, you have to be published and people have to have you know, read your work or to be a poet or a podcaster, like, unless you're making money, maybe we're too ashamed to say yeah. that we do these things. Yeah. And we're too afraid to put it into a noun. But then it, it's, again, it's attaching our value, our our worth to to the words, right, to the intention. So yeah. going back to that, I, I wonder, is that almost impossible to completely detach from these things? Probably is, and maybe not even necessarily very healthy, but it would be good to, like, just say, yeah, I'm a writer, and just like not give yeah. a shit. Like, yeah. And yeah. Someone might say to you, "Well, what have you written?" It's like I'm nothing, but I write every day, so I'm a writer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like connect with that four-year-old, emboldened, you know, confident child in all of us. Me, like, well, yeah, I'm a writer. What if I was a, to ask you as a four-year-old, what What are you? What would you have said? Yeah, I would have said I'm a an actress. I loved <laughs> I loved acting. All right. I would have said I'm an actress, I'm a singer. Oh my God, I would have listed multiple nouns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I loved mixing things. <laughs> like, like, like mixing like the sauces or like everything. I got this. I started off. <laughs> started off. Do you know when you see those uh, cement mixers that builders use? Yeah. Um, and so I spent the first six years of my life in, in Mullingar, and I would have seen these cement mixers. And I went back to the garden and I was like, I'm going to make some cement. So I was like, I'll get some, you know, like dirt from over here and I'll get some dirt from over there. And I was like, mixed it with water. And I just couldn't understand why it wasn't turning into cement. Um, so then I was like, I'll just try lots of different things. And I was like, I'll take a bit of this tree. Try. Oh my God, this is the weirdest, quirkiest. <laughs> yeah. So I have older brothers and I used to like look out the back garden and they'd just see me like mixing stones and stuff. And they were like, what a freak of a brother. <laughs> like these stones aren't melting <laughs> yeah it was the story with the stones and then the good the best one was when you're like doing oh, I'm gonna stop I should probably stop talking but when you took the mixing inside 
you know, trying to like, I don't know, whatever, I was like trying to make potions and stuff like that. Oh. And it always felt really cool when I got my mom's, you know, hair mousse. Uh-huh. Because it was the only thing that actually made the, you know, expanded real quickly and you actually felt like you're like, I've made a potion. Um, you must have driven your mom mental. I can just imagine like any receptacle she finds just loads yeah, of yeah. like gloop and yeah, all this crap. I'm, I'm sure she was probably just happy I wasn't drinking it. Um, <laughs> Did you become a scientist after that? Because that's a real uh, like... Yeah, listen, but like, you know what? No attachment, no value. Just, I mix, I'm a mixer. Mix yes. things, mix things up, you yes. know? <laughs> you're a mixer. Yeah. And you can see you're a mixer now. Yeah. Mix it up. There you go. That's, that should be my new LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I'm a mixer. But yeah, I don't know. That kind of, it would be lovely to have that kind of carefree state of mind with a manager of mine actually once told me he goes you, you brought up the the americans yeah and so there's pros and cons to all of this and he said if you ask an american to say you know three qualities they have or three skills they have they'll be able to list them off like very quickly um but ask them to identify three weaknesses they have and they actually would really struggle and irish people are completely the opposite we'll tell you our weaknesses all day long yes but trying to identify our qualities is, is is a real tough one but I don't know if this is changing with the younger generation I think maybe it is like with kids yeah. they seem to be a little bit more sure of themselves and confident but I don't know if that's the reality or if that's just my view of it yeah I'm always wary when I start talking about like younger people and like when you start using words like the youth of today, yeah, yeah. you just feel like the wrinkles in your face getting <laughs> yeah. bigger and deeper. Because well, I, I work with, um, in the summer, I run these summer schools in the UK. Mm. And they're like for the really privileged teenagers around the world. And mm. it, the difficulty is the staff. So they're young. They're all Gen Zers as well. Like, you know, it's a summer camp. So they're like 18 to 21. And they'd be the most like I can work. I love working with kids, kids. Because you're like, well, they have a small brain. So when they make mistakes, you're just like, it's just part of their development. Then when you're dealing with like a 21-year-old, it's just like, but I have noticed, I've been doing it for 12 years, and I've definitely noticed a shift in the way young people think about work. And there's definitely a sense of like, like, I don't want to say they think they're too good for it, but I don't think they understand the value of all kinds of work. And they need work to be purposeful. And they need to kind of have identity to that work. So whereas we were probably happy to work in supermarkets and do like mm. shitty odd jobs here and there because we believed in the value of money and working hard, mm. they are like, but where is this going to get me? And mm. what's this going to look like on my CV? And I actually have all this experience in university. So yeah, there was, to be honest, there was a sense of like working in a summer school is beneath me. Um, yeah. And that seems to be growing. Definitely, the last few years I've noticed a shift. They really want to like know that what they're doing has like purpose and meaning, or they don't want to. They don't want to do it. Yeah, so I think they have. I do think that that there there's a confidence there that like we would have just been happy to do anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Could it be? I think it's probably also got something to do with the economies that we kind of grew up with. Yeah. Um, I I would imagine that plays a part. There's a lot of opportunities around for people these days that maybe weren't there. At least when I was coming out of college, it was a lot of kind of immigration off to Australia or whatever it was. Um, I think that plays a part in it too. Maybe they're like, they're actually confident they might get a job after college. So they're thinking about that sort of stuff. I don't know. I could be wrong. I think you need to like, with confidence, I think you need to have it like, I don't know. I think a lot about confidence because people look at me and I think they think I'm confident because I put out videos on the internet 
and I have like a quite a bubbly persona but like even coming here today like I was anxious and mm. I had like I could feel the anxiety like bubbling in, in my body mm. and then I do have that inner voice of like why are you doing a podcast who are you to talk mm. on a podcast and I just always have to like put that to one to one side and when I tell people I actually really struggle with my confidence mm. and I really find like I I definitely over question things and I pull my hold myself back from yeah. a lot of opportunity and I think I look at other people and I do think it has something to do with like grief so I don't know if you could connect mm. to that but I think my grief or even growing up not very wealthy like I grew up in a sort of more lower middle class family mm. definitely my parents struggled and I don't know if that's also made me really lacking in security as well mm. and because of that I think I make really small choices and then I have friends who are from maybe more fuller backgrounds maybe they have less trauma they haven't had to grieve the loss of their parents yet and maybe just they were slightly more financially stable and they do just have this confidence I'm not saying they're arrogant or whatever but they there's something about this thing of yeah I could yeah I'll just go for it I could do that and I think instead like I find many ways of telling myself why I couldn't do something yeah and I think before I used to think this is just me and now with therapy and stuff I'm I'm going back and I'm like no where did this come from this kind of idea that you think something isn't for you yeah but that's what other people do it's the story that we tell ourselves, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder, like, I haven't put it as much and, and enough effort into doing this, but I wonder, is it possible to completely change the story that we tell mm -hmm. ourselves about ourselves? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I know that there is such a thing as narrative psychology. I don't know if it exists here in Ireland. Um, but it is all about, like, narrative psychology would be all about, you know, stories. You speak, spoke of storytelling and everything is a story. Yes. Like, it, that's actually really cool and it's amazing but how we construct that story about ourselves like you, you just told me a story about yourself yeah. you know came from you know maybe not as an, a hugely advantaged background obviously went through grief at a young age and maybe you feel at a disadvantage to others yeah uh, oh, but like probably you could totally reframe that as mm. I've come through that. Look mm -hmm. where I am right here today. Mm -hmm. Look how much stronger that makes me than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so there's just many ways of looking at mm -hmm. a narrative. Yes. Um, That's a beautiful. You're just reframing things. And that's kind of what I went through. You asked, like, was it therapy that helped me become self-aware? So I stopped, but I went back three years ago. I had a really kind of difficult time again three years ago. Yeah. And like after my relationship fell apart and all this sort of stuff. And then I uh, started therapy again, like pro this time properly and weekly. Mm. And, and I looked into doing like taking like a microdose with psilocybin every few months as well. I find that really helps. And then I've always wanted to do ayahuasca. Mm. And so I went to Brazil on my 35th birthday. Mm -hmm. I didn't have much money. And I, I thought about all the weddings I've been to and all the baby showers and all the expensive hen parties. And I was like, fuck it. Then I sent a WhatsApp and I said, I'm turning 35 and it feels really big. And I said, here's my Revolut. My biggest dream is to go to Brazil and do a week retreat of ayahuasca. Wow. And I want to, I just, there's something stuck in me and I need to heal it. If you want to contribute, that would be amazing. Don't feel obliged. And my friends and family donated so much that I was able to pay for my flights and half the retreat. It's, it's pricey. 
And yeah, and a part of me, like you say about this confidence thing, like 90% of me was like, what the fuck are you doing? You can't ask people to do this. But like there was a 10% was like, just do it. Who cares? This is so at the, be- at the beginning of the message I wrote, I'm getting married. And then I left like loads of space. So it was like clickbait. And okay. I'm not, I wasn't with someone. People were like, <gasps> and I was like, jokes. <laughs> but I am taking myself to Brazil. And they're like, people think you have this big spiritual connection with God and all these, I don't know, people have completely different experiences. And I've only really understood my, my experience like a long time afterwards. So like ayahuasca isn't something you do and then you come away and you're like, that's what happened. It's, it takes so long to integrate. Yeah. You almost don't understand what happened. And I did three ceremonies and it was really difficult. The first one was incredibly painful and I... Physically painful? Yeah, I mean, I, I was... Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. Like I was paranoid. I went into this really dark space yeah I kind of knew I would because I was like whatever is in me is dark <laughs> so I was like can I ask where I imagine yeah. you were anxious beforehand right? oh yeah, yeah 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 I was super nervous yeah. um I'd never done like an acid trip or anything like that so I'd never like fully lost yeah. like myself in this way I don't even smoke weed so like I'm not used to and even with, I've done a bit of magic mushrooms but again not loads so like more like microdosing. so this for me was like to just lose myself to something when you're a control freak is really terrifying but yeah. it's a safe space there were psychologists there um, the indigenous tribe come down from the Amazon so they're like you know hundreds of years dealing with plant medicine there's translators there's guides who've been doing it so there's a team Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss of 30 people and there's wow. 30 people doing it so there's Amazing. almost like a person to a person so you know anyone listening to this I, I'm not giving advice and like running off and doing it anywhere because for me it was important to do it somewhere sacred with people who know the medicine well Yeah, and that, that will impact how your uh, experience is so I felt safe because even when I was feeling terrified they, they tell you beforehand, like everyone's sitting around together, you have to sit in the same space. And the tribe never stop playing music. And they play music from 10 p.m. until 8 a.m. We have to stay wow. all night. And sometimes you do feel lost. And they said, if you feel lost, just find the music. And okay. and I remember just at some point, I would be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm losing my mind and I'm gonna get stuck like this. And then I saw that I would listen, I would find the music. And I'm like, okay, it's okay, everything's okay. And all of a sudden, I started hearing someone like wailing, crying, and I was like, uh. oh my God, who is that? 
and I turned to my partner and you're told not to touch each other or even speak because it's such an individual journey. Yeah. But I was like, oh my God, I have to, to rub her and, and comfort her because she really was crying and it was really painful. And then I'll, I went to reach my hand out to touch her and then all of a sudden I saw hands touching me and I looked up and the guide was holding my hand and someone else was rubbing my shoulder. And I, was, I looked down on my body. I was like, oh my God, it's me. I'm the one crying. Wow. It was, it was insane. You know, we talk about this mind-body dis- disconnect. But I looked down and my whole body was like quivering and shaking. And I, I was like, how the hell have I not connected to that? Then I tried to stop it and I couldn't. It was just <laughs> like this wailing. And there was no reason for it. It's not like I was thinking about something sad like you would in a conscious way. It was, like you said, it was just something deep in my in my poor body was like, I gotta get this out. Mm. And I went to the fire. One of the guides took me and she said, um, make, a, make a wish to your mom with like some ash. And then when I was there, everything, I was getting emotional talking about it, but like the thing, it was like my life flashed before my eyes and it's not the, it's not like all the success that you remember. And it's not like, I don't know, the money or the fame or, or the hot guys you were with or the degree. It was like all the simple moments and it, I, could, I could see it all. It was literally like a montage of my whole simple, significantly insignificant life. And it was those memories of like, I don't know, walking down the harbor with my mom or my ex-boyfriend shouting at me or the two was holding each other quivering after a big argument or the first time I got in the cold sea or mm. just a watching trash TV with my friend. The whole thing painted across the sky and I fell to my knees and I wept with gratitude. Wow. And before that, I had resented my life for, I think I felt like the grief had held me back. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, my life is beautiful. Mm. My life is so rich and gorgeous and and the people in it are rich and beautiful and it all matters. Everything, mom dying, and the curry that spilt on the floor, my burying my dog, meeting my best friend, breaking up with like my exes, everything matters. And you just, I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, I wouldn't change a thing. I yeah. wouldn't change a thing. And I wouldn't ask for anyone else's life. And it was the first time that I connected with my, with my life and that like, I think before I was doing what you said, where I was comparing myself to others and why aren't I where everybody else is? And in that moment I thought, no, this is exactly where I want to be and my life is so beautiful. Mm, And that's, I think from that moment I was able to kind of, it was a beautiful moment and after that you kind of leave, you're like, what the hell just happened? And I kind of integrated it slowly and, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful time. I can't actually tell that story without getting emotional. It's still like Thank you so much for sharing (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious to know a little bit more, yeah. like if it, like if that's all right, because I've never done that, um, and I would be I would be very apprehensive to do it. Mm-hmm. Bit, like you said, a little bit of like a control freak and stuff yeah. like that, and um, but like that experience when you said you said that first night was mm-hmm. um, like if you went through dark moments, yes. but was were you when you came through that like when you when you said you experienced gratitude was mm-hmm. that in the same night? Yes. Yeah, it's hours. Like, it's just hours and hours and hours. But you don't have any concept of time. So if you if you if you I, if I told you how long it was, it felt like ten minutes. Wow. <laughs> and then also like my entire life, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was stuck. But the first it's weird, isn't it? It's so weird. I know from people who've done like acid and stuff. They were like, 
you just lose complete concept of time. But I had no idea of this. So yeah, when I first took the, you take a cup and I felt nothing. We do dances and you start to see like everyone has completely different experiences. Like mm. someone's dancing around like a bird. Someone's like rocking back and forth. Uh, people are vomiting because yeah. it's the purge. I didn't, I didn't get sick the first night at all. That's what I was worried about because I'm not a vomiter. <laughs> I just don't get sick. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't want to. And you have to like, you know, I like planned my outfit in a way that like if I vomit, I actually didn't plan my effort. That's a lie. My second night I did because they lost my clothes. Um, they lost my bags, like Air France. And so I, I remember I arrived to this beautiful spiritual retreat with nothing. And I had to ask the, the guy running the retreat, can he stop off? Because I need to buy underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and he's this like shaman yeah. in Brazil. Like it's not the tribe, but it's one of the other shamans. And imagine doing those things. You're probably like, I'm like, you know, I, I need lots of underwear. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, um, so he picked me up from the airport because they do, they, they, they handle everything. It's an amazing company. Yeah. And they pick you up from the airport. And I was like, hey, it's uh, really embarrassing, but I have to get underwear because they don't have my back. He's like, yeah, no problem. So he takes me to an underwear shop. And then he's like, do you need me to translate? Because and also all the sizes are different in Brazil. So mm. the next thing I'm like, he is translating while this woman is holding up knickers, like underwear, and putting them against my body and being like, you've a bigger ass, so like maybe do you want like a, th- a thong? And I'm like standing there like, this is not the beginning of my spiritual ayahuasca <laughs> retreat that I imagined while the shaman is translating, do you want a thong or like a wide ass underwear? I'm like, just anything, just anything, just give me five pairs of underwear. It was so embarrassing. But yeah, and then I had no, I was wearing my pajamas because I had no clothes. And I had... I had like they they put warrior paint on you as well to help you, um, but mine had like messed up with all the sunscreen that day, so I looked like a demon. Like it just <laughs> it just was smudged. I actually know this because I came out of the toilet and I scared a woman. She was like, "Oh God!" She's like, "Oh, sorry." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> I look terrifying." And then I yeah, and then I was like, "It's good though because you have no ego then sitting down. Everything is about like what's going to happen." So you take a cup. You go up. I didn't feel anything. And I, do you know what my biggest worry was? That I wouldn't feel anything. Because the thing about ayahuasca is she, if you are holding back, she doesn't, she, if you're not ready, uh, she won't give you what you need. Because I, I don't know, like I listened to you were saying the Tim Ferriss show and he talks a lot about it. And, they, and I, they've had like people come on who know medicine and they still don't understand. Because if you give someone who like four cups of ayahuasca there was a girl there from san francisco but a lot of people who do these retreats they do it because it's cool or because they want the experience but if you don't really connect with what you want and what you need she's not going to show you anything so this woman felt nothing she did three ceremonies and she had nothing she was like it was nice she said she saw like colors wow it's crazy and she was tiny this little pick Mm. of a thing so it makes no sense that like and if we're talking about like physical endurance like I I could actually drink I'm not a big drinker but I could drink a lot and I wouldn't be very like floored or anything like that so like I I was like I this was my fear I'll take ayahuasca and nothing's going to happen. I'm going to spend 3,000 euros flying across the world and I'll feel nothing. Yeah. And it happened to another friend of mine, a Brazilian friend. She's done four retreats and she's never seen anything. Wow. Yeah. But she's a really similar character to me, like very rigid, controlling. And if you hold on too much, I can't get in. 
But they were saying, like I remember hearing on the Tim Ferriss podcast, he asked about this. How can you take a certain quantity of this drug, let's say, and it not impact you? And they said they do not know why. Wow, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because if you smoke X amount of marijuana or you drink whatever amount of whiskey or you take acid, doesn't there's matter. No way you, of not, yeah. There's no way it won't impact you. Yeah. But with ayahuasca, it, it, it just you might see some colors, but just doesn't. She won't. She'll wow. she'll only work with you. And then in saying that, some people who were there who'd taken it loads, they're like, "Oh, you're gonna go to heaven." They kept telling me I'm gonna heaven. So I was like, "Okay." There was like seasoned ayahuasca takers as well. Oh, you go to heaven, and I was like, next morning, like, did you go to heaven? If I was like, no, I went to hell. <laughs> I was like, I went to hell, and I stayed there forever. But then I had this beautiful like release at the end, and yeah, being on my knees in front of the fire, like it was. And I, the next, it was really interesting because uh, you meet with the psychologist just before, and I met with her, and she said, "What do you want from Aya? Like, what is it? What's your question?" I was like, I don't know what I want because there's so I could sit here and say, I want to heal this trauma and I want to be free of this. So all I said was, no matter how much work I do in therapy and all the like cold sea therapy, all these things that I do, there's something stuck behind my rib cage and I can't get it out. Mm. And I feel it, it's heavy and it holds me back and it drags me down. Mm. And that's all I said. And then it was like when I was crying, for, I think about, someone told me it was about two, three hours. Wow. And I was like, well, I'm so sorry to everybody else. They're like, no, it was beautiful. And then the next morning I said something unhooked itself and flew away because I feel this fresh mint of the soul in my body. Wow. And I'm not woo-woo. Like I, I wouldn't tend to be like, my God, I'm spiritually connected to yourself. I'm not really that kind of person. So I really am. I'm a woman of science too, so that's why I like to look into the science of ayahuasca. But there's still some there's some mysteries there, and they don't they don't know why some people have one and the other will have nothing, or someone else will have a completely different experience. Um, so I, my recommendation for it is to do it somewhere safe, somewhere where you feel like you can trust the people that are there. Um, because when I was scared, I kept telling myself. There's so many people here that will help me if it gets really bad. Yeah. And if it gets, I went up to the psychologist. I managed to like drag myself over at one point when it was really scary because everyone had turned into a demon. And I was like, okay, I just find the psych. Like they had these like long claws and everyone was like, ah. and your sense of sound is so disturbed. So I was like, oh no, no, no. And I went over to the psychologist and I was like, am I going to be stuck like this forever? Like I think I'm having a mental breakdown. And she just took my hand and she was like, you're holding on too much and I will not work if you hold on. So okay. it, it does, it, it, and then she turned into a mouse and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the psychologist is a mouse. I'll just go back to my hovel. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh God, man. I'm doomed. But she was right. I think I kept fighting it. I kept, I was sitting there and the more you fight it, the, the worse it is. Mm. And then at one point I genuinely was just tired. It was just hours of trying to fight this feeling of like, just close your eyes and trust you're not gonna die. Yeah. And so I did that and that's when I started crying. Wow, Yeah. amazing. And that was through, you said three nights? Yeah, so you, and you wake up the next morning, you have like breakfast together and blah, blah, blah. They take a day off because you, you need a day to yeah, like imagine. integrate. Yeah. 
And it's lovely because the other people, like I made friends with these three Americans and everyone's there for different reasons. Some of, like half of it was a bit superficial. Like half of them are just influencers. Yeah. Rich people who own yachts in Dubai. I totally yeah. forgot that rich people do ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah probably all the time. Yeah, yeah. I really, I totally forgot about that. I was like, of course, it's, yeah. a, it's a rich person's thing. Yeah. So like half the people there was like just something they do. They just, every six months, they wow. fly around the world and yeah. do ayahuasca. And so like, they were fine, they were nice people, but I found it hard to connect. Um, but the other, the Americans that were there, they were there for like really deep, painful reasons, like fertility problems or another girl, it, a lot of it's grief. Yeah. It really helps you come to terms with grief. And then the second night I took ayahuasca, didn't feel good. And someone told me to, to uh, sniff habe, rapping which is this kind of like tobacco that indigenous people smoke. Okay. And it's supposed to help center you. And especially if you're feeling really paranoid with ayahuasca, it's supposed to bring you into a center. Okay. And it's this huge animal um, horn and they blow this, this ash or this tobacco into your nose. And it's huge, it's like this long. And, and you put it up your nose like this and then they go, and whatever, they say like, don't breathe. So you just have to hold it and then it goes up. And then after a little minute, then you can, you can breathe. And I, I did it wrong. I sniffed at the wrong time. I don't <laughs> smoke. So I was like, oh my God, and there was just black <laughs> smudge oh, no. everywhere. And it sent me, I vomited then for about, oh, I'd say hours and hours, oh, just no. all on the floor. Yeah. But even that experience, someone was like, was it horrible? And we were outside for this ceremony and I leaned. All of a sudden I was like, oh no. I was like, am I going to be sick? And I, there was a force that's why I know I end up sounding woo-woo and anyone listening is going to be like, oh, here we go. But it, I can't explain it, but something dragged my body and threw me on the grass. And I was on all fours and I started vomiting. And it was like, I kept trying to come back to my seat where the fire was. But every time I tried to come back, something would throw me onto all fours. And the only time I stopped feeling sick was when I was on all fours and the grass was black I remember because it was so dark and but the only time I felt peace was when my fingers I remember my digging my fingers into the grass and it felt so safe and moist and as soon as I tried to sit down it would be like, oh. and I was like okay I guess I'm just staying on the grass all fours facing just the trees and I it was like someone said to me you look like you're in the position to give birth because that's mm -hmm. that's a birthing position and I was sweating and my hair was like dripping into the vomit and everything about me was so animalistic and when I was vomiting it was like <gasps> and I just think that was also horrible but it was something else again just coming out. coming out yeah and it was like it almost looked like I was saying to my friends like the vomit almost looked so disgusting but it almost looked black because everything mm. was so dark and I a part of me believes that something that didn't look like vomit came out and it was mm. just like I've just and then at the end it was beautiful because I I made friends with this older guy uh, Chris and he I like managed to drag myself over like something from like what's that horror movie where she comes out of the TV well I'm not sure I'm not, <laughs> The Ring The Ring there I you looked go. like something out of The Ring like okay. I was sweaty <laughs> vomit everywhere and I was like <gasps> and like he pulls me in and he wrapped me up in his blanket and uh he he found a piece of paper he said on the ground and he was holding it tightly he said do you want me to share my piece of paper with you and it said confianza which means trust in portuguese mm. and yet to this day i have that piece of paper oh and, nice yeah very nice and then the third day i saw i saw heaven 
Okay. Third day was beautiful. Yeah, you needed to go through the dark stages. That's yeah, what they said, because the, the shaman kept telling me, how was the second day? He's like, did you see flowers? I was like, no flowers. He's like, you'll see flowers on Friday. And I was like, whatever. I lost hope that there was flowers. Yeah. <laughs> and then the third day, you, do, you actually do see flowers. Wow. They pop up from... Everywhere. everywhere and there's all these blue very cool but I think if I had just had that experience of like beauty and joy it mm. wasn't what you were there for no no and it's not me it's not who I am mm. I, I want to go through that stuff the hard get, stuff yeah and then the flowers are prettier I yeah and the satisfaction yeah, kicks in um, do, do you feel like hung over the day after is there a, no no it's so interesting you're not all over, you've no... The only thing is you're tired because it's all night. It's very emotional. You're tired from yeah. it anyway. Yeah. And you're, you're up till 8 a.m. And like, True. you know, even if I was parroting here in Dublin, I'm I'm a 3 a.m. in bed kind of gal. Yeah. So that just that side of it. But you're... Uh, what I, I, I'm always... St- I was starving. They serve this beautiful breakfast. It's all like healthy food from the garden. And they say that they like... You know, the, the chef always comes out and tells you how much love he put in the food that morning. It's really sweet. But the best part was like... Were you thinking about that when you were puking it all up? So that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't have had those 10 slices yeah. of freshly baked bread. <laughs> but the guy, the guy Chris and I, we would just sit at breakfast when we just talk. And because there was this... Something always shifts out of you. So you, you really feel free. And to be honest, like, Mark, I've noticed I'm starting to slip back into, like, a lot of negative kind of patterns in the last, like maybe six months and I was like mm, I think I'm ready for like a doesn't have to be ayahuasca but something just to reset, to reset. neurologically mm-hmm. because that's a lot of friends and family were like they noticed it maybe six months later they're like you seem different wow something there's an energy shift or just the way I think I was more accepting of things and yeah okay. more grounded Amazing. maybe and what about the um, the microdosing side yeah. of things how is that um, that's amazing affected your life massively because I told you about the day that the doctor was like here's your uh, antidepressant prescription and it's not the first time I was prescribed like I think I was prescribed three times mm. from three different doctors and then also Xanax and all these other things and I'm not disputing their functionality and effectiveness for certain people but I just know myself and I know I don't want to go down that route yeah because even I don't take painkillers unless I absolutely have to because I really believe in my my body's innate ability and thankfully I have the ability like to be able to withstand so far but like I'm not saying that I won't have to use certain drugs in the future but I'm hoping that I can keep them going down the route that I'm going down and mm-hmm. so for me I started looking at alternatives because I was like I know I need something yeah because I have like a frazzled mind and um, someone said to me recently that if you, you literally tick all the boxes for someone who has ADHD and I was like yeah probably but I said if I go get diagnosed it won't change anything I'll still be this person with this brain of course. and yeah. me waving around my ADHD card isn't going to fix me so I need to look at ways to sell my mind and that's what microdosing of psilocybin does so it kind of just yeah it's like it declutters 
Okay. Um, you don't feel anything, so you can take it and you can drive. And I teach classes. Yeah. Although one time I took it on an empty stomach, and you're supposed to swallow it. Depends on the type. Mine, when you swallow instead of chewing, but I chewed. I did. I was a little buzzy. <laughs> I was teaching English, and I kept getting distracted by how beautiful things were. <laughs> and I look back in that class, I was like, I think I was a bit buzzy. <laughs> I was like, guys, isn't life just such a miracle? Oh no! <laughs> I was just so wow. Yeah. But it and it settles. I would say if you are if you're an anxious person or if you have a creative mind, but but it's really you know de- um, frazzled, right? So I think yeah. a lot of creatives, it's like you have all these ideas, but to kind of compartmentalize them is really difficult. Um, when I microdose, it really really helps me. And. Like some people are like, is it placebo? But if even if it is placebo, placebo is super powerful. Yeah. I mean. It's one of the weirdest things, isn't it? Placebo. It's like in every single medical or psychological study and it's accounted for. And then we just don't really give it any attention. But anyway, it's, it was, it's weird because I, I spoke to um, uh, a guy called Bill O'D who's been on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. He's like this mushroom expert. Um, I can't remember the name for what a mushroom expert is, but uh, he, we'll call him a mushroomologist. <laughs> um, and he he was great. He gave me so much information on this stuff, but he spoke to me afterwards and we had just such an interesting conversation that it went on. I was like, obviously I meant to ask him about magic mushrooms and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just genuinely totally forgot. And he said afterwards, he goes, well, if you ever want to talk about that, we can talk about that too. Um so I'm going to get him on back to, to speak just an episode about it. But it's something that I'd be interested to learn more about and yeah. how it's, you know, the beneficial and also the, the negative side effects too. And yeah. I'm, I do believe in yeah in them black and white. There's nothing that is just all good or all bad. Yeah. I think um, these things like ayahuasca and, and mushrooms and all these things that are out there, I think it's more, like you said earlier, it's connected with your intention. So if you were doing something and you're attaching, you know, you have this attachment to what it's going to do for you, it's not going to work. So if you go to ayahuasca and you're like, it's going to heal me, or if you take these tablets and you're like, now I'm going to be a really creative person, or I'm going to be a better person, or I won't have trauma, or whatever it is you're going through, it's not going to work. So um, I think these things you say, they're good or bad, I think they're neither. Mm. And I think they just... They, they help you, but you have to drive them forward, right? You have to still, like, you know, with ayahuasca, people ask me, like, you know, you had this really deep experience. But I also said, guys, I was doing six months of weekly therapy before I did ayahuasca. So I was really receptive, and I was in a space to understand things that yeah. was happening in my body. And even afterwards, I continued to do therapy and integrate what had happened. And same with, like, taking microdosing of psilocybin. Like, I, you know... I'm in a kind of a really difficult place at the moment. Like I told you, I'm selling my mom's property and just there's just things changing mm. and I can feel my emotional kind of store bank is really depleted and I'm, I'm feeling really low actually at the moment. Mm. So this morning I actually ordered mm. some um, microdosing and I only do it for a month and then in a few months I'll do it again, but you don't do it all the time. You, I imagine you build up a tolerance to you it. You do, anyways. and you just don't feel it. So I actually don't think there's any bad things to it. The only thing is, it's like everything, people can see it as a panacea. And mm. I think it's just important to know that there's no panacea to healing. In fact, there's no end to anything is what I'm learning. It's just mm. 
there's things that soften the world for you yeah. and make things feel gentler so that you can then keep moving, you know, yeah. more energetically through. But there's nothing that's going to fix you. I think if we keep looking for things to fix us, we'll always fall mm. short. Yeah, you know? absolutely. hundred percent. And it's, it's, I'm thinking of someone, something that someone said before, and it's like the contract of life is like, if you're, if you're here and you want to live a life, it, it's got ups and it's got, it's like you are said earlier on, it's got ups yeah. and it's got downs and you just have to learn to recognize what's going on in a particular moment. And, but it's tricky, isn't it? Like mm. you don't learn any of this stuff of like in school or whatever. And yeah. sometimes I feel like we come out of education, 18, 19 years old or whatever it is. And then it's like, okay, now just go figure out all of the actual hard yeah. stuff yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no one teaches us anything. Like I always say, why do we get taught about trauma in school to some degree, like even secondary school? Because like nobody teaches you about it. And then you grow up, you know, in your 20s, you start to, I think by the end of your 20s, you're completely unraveling. I think I was called the 30s, the, the great unraveling. Because you're just like, ah, who am yeah. I? What am I? Where am I going? Yeah. Because everything, all the practices you were talking about when you had like your panic attack and you learned how to just shut that door on that. And we do, we, we learn all these kind of uh, habits and they're survival techniques. And we're beautiful people at surviving and adapting. But at some point, it, they, they expire and they yeah. no longer work for us. And all of the things that we've been shutting the door on start to yeah, creep yeah. up in, in really kind of difficult ways. And if you you get to your early 30s, I think, and that's when it all starts to to start bubbling out of you. And you're like, yeah. OK, why does why is none of this, the stuff that my avoidance techniques, they're not working anymore. Yeah. And here I am stuck and facing all this crap. And I'm like, I remember thinking when I was yeah, 33 was when it hit me. And I was like, why did no one teach me about this? Like I've. I've, I just felt really like I have no clue. I had no idea of where to start. I just knew I felt an insane amount of pain in mm. my body. Yeah. And I felt, what it was, was I felt like the worst person in the world. And that had made so many mistakes. And when you feel like that, you're like, where do I go from here? Because you're like, I'm just, I'm just useless. And I've, not, I've achieved nothing, blah, 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 blah. So I think when you, when you have that in your mind, it's really difficult to to move forward when you're like hundred percent. Yeah, am I? Where am I? Yeah, it's 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 learning to be. What what I would have appreciated in in school because maybe maybe if you had taught me if you had taught me about like I don't know these things like trauma etc. When I was fourteen, it would have fallen on deaf ears anyway. This, this, you know, this. Um, I wouldn't have been in the right space for it or the right time for it. But maybe it would have been nice to learn techniques to get to know yourself a little bit more. Yes. Um, and maybe that's just life. I don't know. Maybe this is just, we're all just, this is just life. <laughs> I don't know. But like, I remember at one point, because I, I also had the experience of going to therapy and I remember his whole stick was really just get to know yourself, get to know yourself, mm-hmm. get to know yourself. Like, don't really bother I'm not going to talk about anything that's happened to you or anything mm. that you think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. We're going to forget all of that. And we're going to talk about like getting to know yourself and mm. how you can like put a mirror in front of you. And we're having this conversation right one day. And I'm not going to say that it was enormously beneficial for me. I'm not saying that he was the best psychologist in the world, but he did have some things that were incredibly effective. And I remember once he just asked me a question that like, and he knew what he was doing mm-hmm. now that I look back on it mm-hmm. and it actually pissed me off the question at the time like what was it well I think he was trying to wake me up of, of some kind of and I 
had said that I was the type of person that likes to help people and like like to make everything okay and if there's like a group of six people in this room I want everybody to get along and I will facilitate that mm-hmm. and uh, so he goes like to like you're like the oil in the engine or something like you're what like brings everything I was like yeah yeah because I was seeing that as a really positive thing mm-hmm. about myself and he just goes that's a really sad way to live your life <gasps> and I was like what and he goes yeah what are you like you're just going to be the oil in everybody else's engine for the rest of your life and it like really made me like angry and I wasn't expecting to feel that way because yeah. I was expecting I was like you're supposed to make me feel nice yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and just ask me questions and... that piss me off yeah. um, but he was I guess I don't fully agree with him like, I do think it is a quality but at the same time he was he was trying to bring attention to but like what the hell do you want mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. stop thinking about what other people want mm-hmm. of you or what other people think of you start focusing on what you know be your own fucking engine and mm-hmm. go the way you want to go mm-hmm. um, and it was just in one simple moment a very beneficial thing that like he clicked with me and that sort of stuff can be really helpful but anyway you grew from you said 50 followers or whatever it was yeah. you've got now pretty much 100,000 followers yeah that's scary yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah it's scary when you like do stories and I just do stories willy nilly like my, my engagement's down at the moment but I try not to like overthink that but there was a few weeks ago when Summer I was time, I think. 12,000 people so like or I think I was hitting it was like one day 15,000 people and that's that's not every day don't don't it's not like that all the time on stories mm. but I was like someone saw my stupid story where I just showed like a video of a toilet and how clean it was in London <laughs> I was like 15,000 people I was like that's the size of like a really big music venue <laughs> I was like yeah, yeah. but I was just like posting like I usually would like silly stories and then I was like wait no guys I do more stuff like I have poetry and now they just think I'm a toilet reviewer <laughs> <laughs> So do you like do you have like a big content strategy in your head or is it just kind of going with the flow a little bit? I wish I did. I need a manager. So if anybody's listening and you want to like be a manager for for free, uh, or like we can build <laughs> me together and then like make some money. But no, I'm terrible. I don't have like a content. I tried. I like downloaded Notion, like an organizational space. I did all the things. Watched the videos on how to use it. I do use it for class. And I made like a calendar, like a content creating calendar. And it just, I realized it just doesn't fit because also, I don't know if this is similar with you, but with creativity, I find it's just something that comes and waves. waves. And it's there and I'm like, great, here we are, let's record. Yeah. And then there's just, I'll go weeks without having anything in my brain. And I don't want to force myself then on like certain weeks to make content. Yeah. Um, so I used to do that and I'd feel really frustrated. The same with writing and poetry. I'd be like, oh my God. I'd sit down to like formally, now is the time to write and nothing would come out and I'd feel so yeah. frustrated. But then there's days like when I came back from, from packing at my mum's house, I was sitting on like the train back and I was just squished up against the window and someone else was there and I was just on my phone. But yeah, I managed to get down on paper, something like I was really proud of. But when I was like sat at my desk at my Mac and you know, chill beats music on. I couldn't do anything. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I'm exactly the same. Um, but I, I try so hard to fit into this kind of nine to five yeah. uh, rhythm. And I, it just really, and I have worked for myself as well for a few years and it's hard to kind of fit yourself into that nine to five mm-hmm. schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
my ideal, like I, I asked you about your ideal, like my ideal lifestyle would be that if I could literally just, when it, when it comes, maybe I might not like even sleep for, this is, an, this is an exaggeration, but I could like go for a very long time, yeah, like two days yeah. and just put out an stupid amount of stuff. But then I might not have that again for, I don't know, yeah, yeah. maybe three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if I could just take those next three weeks off, yeah. that would be great. Go on a writer's retreat. <laughs> <laughs> I saw someone, like a video, and it made sense to me. And someone else has spoken to it, Naval, whatever his second name is. Um, he's, on, he's one of those podcasting people. And he kind of spoke about this in, in terms of like, this can be a natural rhythm of things the way mm-hmm. and this expectation of people to be able to produce high quality stuff just mm-hmm. like as you say sitting down at this time every day there are people that can do it yeah but I am not one of them and uh, but I saw a video and it kind of made sense to me and it was like this little cartoon of you know you, you, like imagine you're surfing a wave and you have this wave of energy and you just got to go eventually the wave crashes and maybe knocks you underwater mm-hmm. Um and then you just kind of have to wait mm-hmm. till you float to the top. Mm-hmm. And then when you're like at the top, then you just have to wait for the next wave. Yeah. And that for me makes sense because then, you, you know, you don't have to feel so guilty when it's not happening. Yeah. You're just like, I'm just waiting, waiting for that next wave. Yeah. It will come. It will come. Yeah. And it's again, having that faith and trust that that something will, will happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what I'm trying to lean into is like, even with business, like work and if it like September is a really slow month, you know, I'm not getting like as many students and that's still my main source of income. And, you know, I start to panic, oh my God. And then it's like, you know, just trust because it's just a slow month and it will happen. And with creative things, I think, I don't know if you were the same, but when I, whenever, when anything comes out that's real and important to me, it doesn't even feel like it's from me. It's something that like, just, yeah, I, I always say from source because it just kind of feels, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like mine, if it makes sense. So when I read it, I can have a sense of pride because I'm almost reading it like, well, I was just a vehicle for whatever just came onto the paper. Or it's something like that. Or it's something that had to come out. I was like, I had, like on on Sunday, coming back from, you know, my home, my home house and all the things that that kind of um, like undid in me. And it was like, I have to get this out. And it's almost almost like a journaling event. Mm. in those moments it feels so real and raw and respectful and if I try to treat it like a, a job I, I, I can't connect but there's sometimes I have written things and I'm like that doesn't feel n- me doesn't feel like there's much integrity attached to it I had this big conversation with a friend of mine recently about art and creativity in general and I'm like can you know real creativity truly exist in a capitalist structure because if you're always thinking about monetizing that freedom that thing that comes in you that must create that urge like you said when the wave comes and you have this beautiful urge in you just to unleash it in whatever form it needs to come out just that raw expression of your inner self should be enough Mm -hmm. and we need to respect that but instead we try to squeeze that beautiful thing in us into a capitalist structure where it's like I gotta impress people I have to impress people enough that they want to pay me to do this mm. and now you start manipulating that that rawness and you start trying to squeeze it into maybe a little baking tin and cook it at a certain temperature and now it's not the beautiful thing that it was at the beginning it's mm. someone else's yeah 
And I'm I'm always like wary of, of but then you end up sounding like a hippie who's never going to create anything because you're like, don't stick it to the men. But it's, yeah, it just makes me think about true art and and always having to monetize it. Yeah. And I don't know if, if there's freedom in the in the two always. Yeah, it's a tricky one. Um, I've had that, you know, those types of conversations before. And even with Peter, I remember there was a guy that I met once and he was, um, he made sculptures. Um, again, my vocabulary isn't great today, but what's, what's that called? Like a sculpturist? Anyway, whatever. Um, sculptor. Sculptor. There yeah. you go. Thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty simple. Um, but he he was kind of making that point that he, he got like... Uh, contracted to make a specific thing mm-hmm. like here's a picture of my granddaughter can you like make it like a little mm-hmm. mini statue out of her and, and to him that wasn't art mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and he was kind of lamenting that and you know I used to do this for pure whenever joy and I'd create something and it's it might sell yeah and it might sell for a lot of money uh-huh but the majority of my time, I'm just making statues out of your sons and daughters and all that kind of stuff, which you didn't really care about. But then the other side of it is, it depends, is art, like, is it a very personal thing? Mm-hmm. Is it a selfish thing? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what art is? Is it and like a pure expression? Am I doing this for me? Mm-hmm. Or am I doing it for others? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I, I don't know, that could be a way of looking at it as well. But then it, it is like if if I start thinking of like doing this podcast, for example, not that it's really, I wouldn't call it art, but you could call it creativity. It creativity. Um, if you start overthinking whether people are going to like it, I, I, I'm i immediately out. Yeah, Can't you won't do, do it. it. Yeah. I, I just just yeah. don't go there in my head. Yeah. Um, and if people do like it, fantastic. If yeah. they don't, that's that's, that's okay too. That's the bonus too. almost, isn't it? Yeah. And maybe that's also the bonus of the fact that I don't live from it. Um, yeah. Maybe it would, I would shit my pants if I did live from it because I'd be putting so much pressure on every episode. Yeah, and you'd so have maybe like, I'm not ready even to go there. And I if you know. had like brand people involved and you'd have people coming in and be like, you know, the numbers are down. Because even I look at like what I put out on Instagram and sometimes I'll get like, there was a time a few months back and I'm like, was it the microdosing? <laughs> because it was like, it was like hit after hit. It was like four viral videos in a row. And then after that, it stopped. And then there was like two or whatever. And it's always interesting. The ones I love and the ones I get such a kick out of. Or like my poetry always scores like really low because people don't want to. People don't like poetry online. They want quick, funny videos. And then the videos I like never seem to do that well. And my, my boyfriend, I was seeing someone at the moment, and he said to me, he's like, he's really creative, but he doesn't put anything out into the world. And he said to me, if you need to care, um, what you need to do is like, I'm not, I was like, I know, I know. I need to not care about the negative comments. And he was like, no, no, no. You need to not care about the good comments. And he was mm-hmm. like, because you need to have as much apathy for the good as well as for the bad. Yeah, he's right. And he's like, because you, you're constantly getting a hit and a kick out of, oh, the, everybody loved that one. And look, that one went viral or people said that was nice. And he's like, no, you see, you're still reacting. He's mm-hmm. like, you need to just put it out there because you love it and I did a story on the Abbey a few months ago and I thought I bombed and I came off stage and anyone who had seen it was like it was great but I didn't feel like I connected with it and he he watched it and he said he knew I didn't enjoy it and he came up afterwards he's like you hated that didn't you 
And I was like, I did. Was it terrible? He's like, no, but I know you weren't enjoying it because you put so much pressure into it being the Abbey and it's so important. Everyone's going to have to love it. And he's like, I just knew you weren't going to like it because you put so much pressure on it. And I was like, oh my God, it's true. I wasn't enjoying it at all. Mm. I was so focused on it being good, but I need to just focus on it being fun and pleasurable and enjoyable. And I think sometimes with art and creation in general or putting things out in the world, I think we lose sight of that and we want it to be good. Mm. And now I'm taking that adjective away. I'm like, let's just have fun. Mm. Let's just enjoy it. Yeah. Pleasure and not, you know, not perfection and trying to please everybody yeah. just you know what I'm having fun if people like it great and if people don't like it great yeah. I'm not there yet but that's my intention is to bring that apathy for for both boom there you go uh, thank you so much Aoife I could have like a easily continuous conversation for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've gone over what I would normally do as in terms of time for a podcast but um, from my point of view, thank you for the content that you do. You know, I'm not learning English from you, um, although I did struggle with a few words there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's very honest, and I think that is from my point of view that's very brave. Mm-hmm. I, I and like what you went through with your grief and speaking about it with here to us, and the way you're kind of learning to to grasp that in your life, mm-hmm. that's also very brave to, to, so that in a way you're educating people. And I think that is a very good thing. And I think mm-hmm. you should continue to do that. And I would encourage you to continue to do that. And that is definitely a value that you give to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't overthink it too much in terms of like content strategies and stuff yeah. and just try to keep being yourself. and share the struggles share the or whatever you don't yeah. have to whatever you want oh, yeah, but like yeah, share the good moments yeah. but I think do it like you're, you do it in a way that people can learn from it does mm. that make sense yeah. um, I've seen you put stuff about you know sea swimming and mm-hmm. um, cold exposure and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that's something I do too we didn't have time to talk about that but that's also beneficial because mm. not that many people know about mm-hmm. it um, and it's just also the fact that you're you're self-employed you're kind of going through that I think that's going to become more of a thing in the future yeah. I this is my feeling that you know my parents generation where like they had one job for the whole life my like siblings are a little bit older than me they kind of like they have one career mm-hmm. but they change companies and stuff yeah. like that yeah I think people are now it's going to be like they do different things at the same time there'll be like mm. lots of little part-time mm-hmm. jobs and learning to manage your own time learning to deal with um, having invoices, learning to deal with the expectation of a salary that is only on your merit at the end of the month, that's a real, I've found in my life, and huge black mirror that I've mm-hmm. had to learn to like, oh, you know the way I'm absolutely shit and I had terrible administration? Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to have to fucking get over that mm-hmm. because otherwise you're not going to get paid at the end of the month. So yeah. you have to learn to deal with all of those feelings that yeah. go with that like oh I'm not going to start this anyway I'm rambling thank you so much no thank you <laughs> and I ramble so much so we're, we're both good ramblers yeah there you go thank you so much Mark yeah thank you're you. welcome thank Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter that's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.